0: We're going to be in the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 16, verses 11-15, if you want to open up your Bibles there, if you brought one with you. If you didn't, that sure will be on the screen behind me, Uh, and you could probably also find a few Bibles somewhere around you, uh, if you would like to read out of one of those. We have been over the last several weeks, last month now, I guess, talking about particular women in scripture, and how their faith, how their testimony, how their willingness to serve in the ways that God called them to can speak to us in our lives today. And continuing along this series, we have this week and next week left, uh, and then we begin our Advent series December the 1st. By the way, there's Advent guides for anybody who's interested in, in some devotional material. You can find those on either windowsill, you can find them in the back, any table that has material on it, you can find those in the church. Um, so we have the two weeks left, and today we're going to talk about a woman in Acts chapter 16 named Lydia. But before we get there, I've just been thinking a lot lately about female leaders in my own life, uh, about the women in my life who have impacted me. Um, my mom is here with us today, uh, and uh, she obviously was the first female leader to have an impact on me. Uh, and it even went back before my life, but in my lifehood, before my childhood, and even went back before that, uh, and I asked her last night to make sure. And so I'm going to uh, throw my dad under the bus a little bit, okay? So he went to, kid, he went to church when he was a kid, uh, but it kind of stopped going. And, and this is probably a testimony for a lot of men in the house. If it is, uh, you, can, you can silently raise your hand or you can just sit there and, and, and smile. That'll be fine too. Uh, but the testimony is that he had stopped going to church in his uh, teenage years. Uh, and because, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, and to get in the good graces of my mom, he went back to church. Can I get an amen? All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so he ended up, uh, he, he, was, he, he provided a lot of leadership in my life as well. I don't wanna, certainly don't want to sell that. He was the deacon in the church that I grew up at. Uh, and, and a lot of that started because he went back to church uh, because my mom had that faith life developed uh, and, and was part of a church that is now, again, we talked about this last night, uh, the sixth generation of her family is currently attending uh, this church that we all grew up at, the church that I was raised in. That's not the only female leadership in my life. Um, another woman that I give a lot of credit to Who I didn't have a church relationship with Though she wasn't devout Christian uh, Is a lady named Well as far as you need to know Her name was Mrs. Stroman She was my high school English teacher uh, She saw some speaking gifts in me That I didn't see I was kind of a quiet kid uh, And called those out of me uh, And did some different UIL events in school That I was uncomfortable with at first And when I and all that stuff That was just totally out of my comfort zone uh, And kind of helped me see a part of myself That I didn't see before. And in all honesty, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that I would not be doing what I'm doing today without God using her to lead me in that way while I was a high school and junior high student at Highland. Also, there's my wife who continues to allow God to work through her to refine me uh, and to chisel parts of me away and to encourage parts of me in other ways as any good marital relationship ought to. It is encouraging to get to do life with someone who uh, is willing to follow but also lead and how we can learn from one another in that capacity is something that I think that uh, I'm happy with Uh, and I'm glad to be a part of of a marriage and a unity like that. Let me ask you this question. What women helped you develop your faith journey? What women helped you develop, helped you grow closer to Christ Along your journey through life, particularly along your journey through faith. And then let me follow that up with another question Where would you be today without the spiritual leadership of the women in your life? Where would you be today? Without those women that had impacted you, a mother who prayed for you, a sister who took you to church because your parents weren't interested, a grandmother who kind of had that maternal sense of faith that she passed down onto the next generations, a wife that brought you back to the church, where would you be without those people leading in your life and allowing God to work through them? And then let me ask a question that I think about and talk about a lot with other people in ministry, and that is where would the church be today without women being willing to step up and serve the church in the nursery, in vacation Bible school, and in more front roles like being on the stage to lead worship or helping us in other ways? Where would the church be today without faithful women allowing God to use them to lead and serve other people in his church? We've talked about several of those over the last month. We talked about Hagar in Genesis 16, who is an interesting story, not really even a a follower of the one true God, at least at the first of the story. But we see in her story how God sees everyone, How, how God sees the need. The first person to give another name to God is the God who sees. We see Hagar being seen by God, even though she was an outsider in every sense of the word we see the two Hebrew midwives in Exodus 1, Shifra and Pua, being able to resist power with wisdom in such a way that God uses them to, to bring about the Moses, the Moses, Moses in the Exodus story. We see the unnamed Canaanite woman in Matthew 15, also called the Syrophoenician woman who has bold humility to come before Christ, realizing that she is a Gentile, is an outsider, but also, because of her great faith, able to become blessed by Jesus in knowing what he has to offer and believing that he has everything that she needs. And then last week, in Genesis 29, we talked about Leah, the weak-eyed sister, and how God blesses us not according to what other people think of us, but according to what he thinks of us. And instead of pursuing the pleasure of men and women in the world, we ought to be pursuing the favor of God and the favor of God alone. And like I said today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. We're going to be looking at a woman named Lydia in Philippi. And I want you to hear this for all people, not just uh, women, but everyone in the sanctuary this morning. If Jesus lives within you, you have God-ordained influence to lead others. If Jesus, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, is present within you, as Scripture tells us that he is, If the presence of God is within you through the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, then you have God-ordained influence to lead others. Christ, before he ascended into heaven to wait at the right hand of the Father to eventually judge the living and the dead at the end of days, before he ascended into heaven in Matthew 28, he told all people to make disciples of all nations, not just some, all of us are given that Great Commission commandment to make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit of Jesus living within you, you have God-ordained influence to lead. In this, chat, this, this passage we're going to look at, uh, a little context, Paul and his companions are traveling on their what we call the second missionary journey. Paul and company are, for unknown reasons, only known to God, prohibited by God from going to Asia, going to Bithynia. And Paul receives instead a vision one night of a Macedonian man asking for help and asking for Paul to come to Macedonia. And so they're beginning this journey towards Macedonia. And we know that Luke, the author of Acts, is probably along with them on this journey because he begins to narrate in the first person when using we And so that ought to pick us up where we are. Again, Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. Before we read, let's pray together one more time. Father, we do thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that as we just sang moments ago, Lord, that you are bigger than we ever thought, bigger than we even think today. God, that you're bigger than we can imagine in this moment and in any moment until we see you face to face. And also, God, you are here with us, among us, and within us. And so, God, we give you thanks for being sovereign and eminent at the same time. Lord, I pray now that through your Holy Spirit, God, you would open up your holy word to us. God, you would move in our lives and in our midst, God, removing distractions from us and helping us see exactly what it is you want us to see this morning so that your truth does a work of transformation within us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 11, just after Paul receives the Macedonian call. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage from Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. She urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Luke, again, telling the story of traveling with the great missionary, Paul, from a first hand perspective, talks about them, Paul receiving the Macedonian call, them going a different direction, them coming to the Roman colony of Philippi and meeting a group of believers there. It's important to note that uh, Philippi was a Roman colony. It's probably why they were gathered outside the city gates, likely because Jews weren't necessarily allowed, or even if they were, it was frowned upon to have worship-like settings inside of a Roman city at the gates of a Roman city. It's possible that in Philippi, at the time that Paul and his party come across them in Acts chapter 16, it's possible that there's not even enough Jewish men to host a synagogue. Uh, It needed to be 10 in order to host a synagogue in those days, and so it's possible that there's not even enough, and that's why they go to a place of prayer. They suppose that there's a place of prayer outside of the city rather than a synagogue. It likely points to the reality that there are very few, even Jews, not Christian believers, but even God-fearers Jews within the city of Philippi. So they go looking outside of the city, figuring that there is a house of prayer or a group of people praying. It is the Sabbath, so they think that they ought to be able to find these people, and they come upon a group of women. Just women. We don't necessarily know why it is just women. They could have been doing some sort of ceremonial thing or something that was just a, a female thing. Or maybe it was the reality that there was no male leadership in Philippi. Whatever it was that was going on, they, sitting, they're sitting sitting in a circle of prayer having some sort of, of worship-like service. And Paul comes and this would have been, I think, a little radical in a day, sits down with them and begins to teach. It is remarkable how revolutionary the early church was when it came to relationships between men and women. And, and we, all, we often look back, or, or I, should I say not we necessarily, the world often looks back on Scripture through the lens of our modern world and sees the world of Scripture as chauvinistic, sees the world of Scripture as uh, like toxic, Patriarchy and sees it in those lights rather than the revolutionary kind of breaking down of some, some of those divisions that society had long had, which it really is. The fact that Paul would even, a man, sit down with this group of women and begin to teach, that itself was a revolutionary act that he would sit with a group of women, one. Two, that he would deem them worthy of actually being taught the truth of the gospel that he came to bring. Both of those things kind of scream a revolutionary perspective as far as the rest of the world is concerned. And he teaches them basically the truth of the gospel. And so when we think of the way that the early church, in the contextual setting in which it existed brought people together. We can think of Paul in Galatians chapter 3.28 saying that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free man, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. That this was the nature of the gospel that it undid divisions that existed since uh, the, the teeth of Eve pierced the fruit in the garden. All of those divisions were being undone in Christ. And we can see that Christ is about unity and bringing together this ministry of reconciliation that echoes throughout the New Testament. Any doctrine, then, that serves to divide males and females is not a Christian doctrine. Any doctrine or any teaching that would serve to bring division amongst men and women within the church is not a Christian doctrine. Now, don't get me wrong. There are lots of good Christian doctrines that we find division over because we disagree, uh, like, like uh, the nature of, of free will. That's one place where a lot of Christians disagree, and there's division created there. Both of those, I think on either side, are Christian doctrines. They just look at things a different way. So I'm not saying that there won't be disagreement, but I'm saying anything that brings enmity, anything that brings contempt, anything that brings strife between what God meant to unify between what God actually said through the, through, the, through the wonder of marriage, that what became two have now become one flesh. If anything seeks to undo that, it is not a Christian doctrine. It is a doctrine of man. It is a doctrine of the world. So we need to be careful in every way that we teach scripture, in every way that we reach out to the world around us, to be a people who speak of unity and truth and reconciliation unity, and truth. I'm not saying to abandon the truth of the gospel. I'm not saying to abandon the truth of scripture. I'm saying rather instead that speaking truth, we ought to do our best to represent both grace, both grace and truth, both unity and the truth of the gospel of Jesus. So Lydia hears these words from Paul. She decides, I say she decides, she is, her heart is opened by god uh, let me say first that Lydia is likely an influential and powerful and wealthy woman first of all that she's even named a lot of times in scriptures they would skip over the names of women they would just be included in one group she is named that's important enough it's kind of like a luke saying okay this is this is an important person you need to pay attention in the story she's the seller of purple goods from the city of Thyatira a city in the ancient world that was known for its uh dying business Dying as in uh, dyeing cloths, dyeing fabrics. Uh, And she probably worked with royalty, which would have been one of the only reasons that you would have a a business that would dye clothing. Uh, And so she, in, in purple was the color of royalty, so that she's known as a seller of purple goods, tells you what circles she runs in. And she also seems to kind of be the unofficial leader of this group of women that Paul encounters outside the city of Philippi. She's also likely what we would call a God-fearer, which would be someone born Gentile but believes in God, follows uh, the God of the Jews, believes in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She's probably unmarried, even though there really isn't any hardcore evidence of that. It's just the guess of most scholars, because there's no husband mentioned. Uh, Even when we talk about her house a little bit later, uh, in chapter 16, we don't see the mention of anyone else, Uh, so she's likely a single woman, although don't. Don't, like, if you get to heaven and meet her and she ended up having a husband, don't hold it against me. Uh, we don't know for sure, but that's the best guess uh, that scholars have. In verse 40, uh, towards the end of the story of Philippi, at least as, as, as far as Acts is concerned, uh, we have the picture painted that her house essentially becomes HQ for the fledgling Philippian church. Let me go ahead and read it. This is after Paul and them have, have got out of prison. There's a Read Acts 16, it's a wonderful story. At the end of this story, so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So we have, we, we leave off in the last verse that we read, we leave off of her opening her home to Paul and his traveling party, his companions, uh, kind of showing them hospitality, uh, and then they come back before they leave Philippi to kind of touch base and talk with the brothers again, it says. So her home has probably become the headquarters. It could be because she is wealthy, has a large place, who knows? It could be very practical reasons. But her home has become the headquarters for the Philippian church. So there's obviously some leadership potential within this woman. Many scholars believe that she is likely Paul's first European convert. And so God opens her heart is what the scripture says. And I don't want to quickly skip over that. We are talking about Lydia and we are enjoying the way that God works through her. But we don't want to skip over that little phrase that God opened her heart. Because even as we celebrate how God works through others, we remember that God and God alone always gets the credit for salvation. Because even those of us who are leaders are always first Followers. If we are not good followers, we will be terrible leaders because that is the heart of a Christian leader is to follow first the Christ, the one who followed his father, God. And if we follow first, then we are in position to be a good leader. So even as we talk about the leadership potential of this woman, we do so knowing that none of it happens without God doing exactly what he did, which is opening her heart. And what we see in Lydia kind of being Paul's first touchstone in Philippi. Her and her whole household being baptized. This is an interesting passage, because usually when that happens in Scripture, it talks about, Uh, a man. A man uh, encounters the Lord, receives salvation, and then he and his whole household with him are baptized. This time, this formula is being used of a woman. It could be because there's not a man in the equation, but whatever it is, she goes to her whole household. She probably has people that work for her, uh, maybe some other people that, some other family members that live with her, and they all become baptized. And so she leads them In that way, she helps her family members find faith. Let me stop real quickly and ask again for you to think, how many of you think that you, if you were to look back and you were to say, of all the people that had an influence in my life, the one person that pushed me most towards Christ is fill in the blank. And if that is a woman for you, that was a mom or a Sunday school teacher, or a vacation Bible school teacher, or a spouse, or a girlfriend, or a friend that you went to school with. That was a woman who worked through to give that witness of God, to give that kind of leadership in your life, rejoice in that reality. Rejoice that God would use women in that way, when much of the world, at least in Lydia's day, would have seen them as unusable unworthy. One thing we're not even talking about in this setting is the way that throughout the Roman colonies, women were viewed in, in, re, in relation to worship. Uh, it, was a, it was a immoral setting in which women were usually engaged in worship in other religions. And so that Paul would even go into that category, would even move that direction to allow a, a woman to be kind of the, the headquarters of the church in Philippi says again something about the nature of the gospel to unite Instead of divide, I think what we see in Acts chapter 16 and in the person of Lydia is a truth that is not ununique to the rest of Scripture. We find it elsewhere as well. We find it in the book of Judges when we see a woman like Deborah raised to the position of leadership. We find it in other people that Paul mentions. Look at the towards the ends of Romans uh, and and the many women that he would uh, call fellow workers, fellow servants alongside him in Christ as they did the work of spreading the gospel. This is not a one place in scripture, but this is a truth of scripture. And the truth is that female leadership is essential in the kingdom of God. Female leadership is essential in the kingdom of God. I'm telling you from a firsthand perspective as a pastor in a Baptist church that it would be nearly impossible for us to fill every volunteer role that we have if it were not for the women in our church. Now, this church is good about men serving and leading, but I have been in other places growing up, other places within my career, where if it weren't for the women who showed up, a lot of the ministry just not would, would have just not happened. That's a reality. We could talk about the theology behind it all day long, but the reality of it is there are many faithful women sitting quietly in pews every Sunday morning who are pillars within their church, who are allowing their church to continue to proclaim the gospel message because they are willing to serve rather than to be served. Can I get an amen for the women who sit quietly and do that good work of ministry? It happens in every church, and we need not overlook that. We need not diminish that. It is often the role that many women play in our churches that is looked at as the, uh, uh, the uh, you know, I'll go do the important work and you hang out with the kids. I'm so glad that even right now we have a group of women who are serving our children in the nursery. Many of you just sent your kids away with women that I trust, with women that I hope that you trust, uh, but I know that I do. I'll vouch for them in this case, okay? Sending them to, who actually... Do the work of spiritual formation in the life of your children for a few minutes on a Sunday morning. To be the message and the voice of God being used by God to bring them that level of truth. Billy Graham probably had a female Sunday school teacher or nursery leader. Those places, those points of service that often go unnoticed are some of the most essential. And let us not ever say that they are support roles, but they are ministry roles in which Christ is using their gifts and abilities to make a difference in his church. So let me speak quickly to the men when it comes to this issue of female leadership. Men, we can value female leadership even within traditional models. Even within the, the model of the family that many of you grew up with, with the husband as head and, 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 and the husband is the head of the, of the woman, the white Christ as head of the church, quoting that scripture. We can live with an appreciation and an understanding and a celebration of female leadership even within that model. Let me give you an example. I am the spiritual leader of my home. If you asked Cheryl, she would say the same thing. I'm the spiritual leader of our home. It's not something that I demand. It's not something that I use as a coercive thing, at least in my good moments. There are times when I'm weak, I'll be honest with you. And in those moments of weakness, in those moments when I'm less than perfect, which are many, a dime a dozen, in those moments, I'm grateful that God has provided a helpmate, someone to do life with me, my other part to do this life together. I'm glad that God has provided her with the gifts and abilities, some of which I do not have, so in that moment, I can be corrected, and I can even be led in some ways. I'm the spiritual leader of my household. I'm the one who sets the spiritual tone, but there are moments in my weakness when I need to be led, and when I'm humble enough to receive advice from my wife is when I am my best self. It is those moments when I say, ah, you know, forget about that. I I got this. That's the man thing, right? I got this. Like, I got this figured out. I know what to do. I know what to say to the kids. I know what to say in this situation in church. You know, I'm the one on staff, not you. When I'm in those moments is when I'm at my weakest. She has creativity that I don't have. She has a sense of boldness that in my inherent mode, like in my most base self don't have and when she encourages me to be assertive when that's not my normal reaction i'm made a better person i'm made a better pastor let me put it to you boldly in that light men if you refuse to heed healthy biblical advice from a woman you are not being manly you are being sinful If you refuse to heed good, healthy, biblical advice from a woman in your life, you are not being manly, the lord of your castle. You are being foolish, unwise, and sinful. Because what if God has given her those words to speak to you? And you ignore them because of your traditional values. Jesus had a lot to say to people in the gospels who loved the tradition of man more than the word of God. Even in this situation, it's clear that Paul is in charge. It's clear that he is the one doing the teaching. He is the one leading the the church. Yet he lets, he allows Lydia to lead in her own way. Again, to everyone this time, be willing to be led through whomever God chooses to lead you. And thank God. I I mean that for you and and, and as my own exclamation. Thank God that he uses all sorts of people to lead us. Thank God that he uses people different than me to lead me. People that can see the world a different way than I do. People who read scripture through a different lens than I do. Who see something that I don't see. Praise God that he leads people from an opposite, that he allows people from an opposite gender who look at the world a totally different way. To speak into my life on occasion so that I might see a part of God that on my own I would not see. Thanks be to God that he chooses other people different than us to lead us. Be willing to be led through whomever Christ chooses to lead you. Now again, test every word from every leader. Make sure that it jives with scripture. If they are teaching something that is against scripture, ignore that, throw it away. See if you can find some nuggets that are scriptural and then move on. But if someone again comes to you with good, biblically solid, foundational advice and you don't listen, it's not because you are being righteous, it's because you're being sinful and you need to stop it. You likely grow more when you're led by someone different than you. I know I do. Women, you have a God-ordained influence to lead others. If the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ lives within you, you have a God-ordained influence to lead others. If Christ is in you, the Great Commission is for you. If Christ is in you, the Great Commission is for you. If Christ is in you, he is calling you to servant leadership. And I would say this is not just for women. This is for children. Like Paul tells Timothy, don't let anyone discourage you because of your youth. This is for baby Christians. This is for anyone who the power brokers would look at and say, no, you don't have any access to the truth. You need to listen instead to me. For all of those of you who have ever felt like you were in that situation, you have the same Bible that I have. You have the same access to the same Holy Spirit that I have. You have the same salvation that I have. You have the same access to all the tools online that I have now today. All the commentaries that used to just stay in the seminaries, you have access to those today. And so I'm trying to talk myself out of job, it sounds like, but I hope you know where I'm coming from. Where I'm coming from is if you have ever sat back in a position and said, no, it's just my job to follow. You too are not being humble, you're being sinful. Because Christ has called you not just to be a follower. You are to be a follower first. But if you have the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ within you, you are called to make disciples of all nations. Again, Christ was not just saying that to a few people. He was saying it to the church, which is you. You have a God-ordained influence to lead others. Don't forget the humility, though. Don't forget that it's not about you don't forget that it's not about some social or cultural narrative about how we should take charge and own ourselves and all the stuff that the world can do with this whole conversation. Instead, remember in humble service to the one who called you, that in accordance with the ways of Scripture, if he is within you, he is calling you to lead others. Be willing to lead when Christ calls, even if others discourage you willing to lead when christ calls when you believe that christ is calling do the work i felt it at the age of 15 i jumped into it naive i did the work over several years trying to figure out exactly what that meant search the scriptures engage the spirit in prayer talk to people that you trust anyone that you would consider one of your leaders seek godly counsel And seek out God's calling so that you may be faithful to it. And then lead. Anything less is disobedience. If Christ lives within you, you have a God-ordained, God-commanded influence to lead those whom he has placed under you. In our world of division. Politicians, people with a blue check mark beside their name on Twitter, and other people get to decide the parameters of our conversation. We need to give back to God every single social conversation that we have. And one social conversation that has run amok in our society, that has run amok even in our churches, is the conversation of how men and women jive with one another and how they handle leadership and whether or not women can serve in this role or this role or that role. I would encourage you to turn off the talking heads, to mute the people who have been in the news over and over again for this position or the other, and to instead turn to the words of Scripture, turn to the words of Paul, turn to the words of he and other faithful followers in the service of Jesus Christ, and look at people like Lydia. Look at people like Deborah. Look at women who led in a godly way according to the way that God was calling and then be faithful to step up and serve in that way. Be faithful to step down and be led in that way. May we look more like the early church in the book of Acts than whatever the world out there today says the church ought to look like. May we instead of looking at the different models of ministry and the different voices within the world of the church today, instead of looking to craft our theologies and craft our ecclesiology the way we do church out of that, may we instead look at the book of Acts and discern that is how we do church. And the way the church was done in the book of Acts is that female leadership was essential. Was it different than male leadership? Absolutely. But it was essential and God used women. And we ought to be willing to allow God to do the same thing according with Scripture, according with the model that he set up. We ought to be willing to listen when God gives someone a voice. We ought to be willing to be led when God puts us in a position to be led by someone different than us. And when the Holy Spirit, who lives within each of us, calls us to lead, we ought to be faithful to lead even when someone else is booing and hissing in the corner. We ought to be faithful to what God says to do instead of what man says to do. That sounds a lot like last week, so there's probably a reason. May we rejoice that God used Lydia. May we rejoice that God uses us. May we rejoice that God uses any imperfect person, including yours truly, to lead. You, if you, woman, man, child, new believer, if you have the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ within you today, you have a God-given influence and directive to lead others in his name. If you want to pray about this or anything else, I'll be down here to do it with you during our time of invitation this morning. If you want to meet a Christ who can save, who can forgive, who can empower for the first time today, I would love to tell you what that looks like. I would love to share how he's impacted my life with you. You can come down during our invitation or we could talk after the service. And for those of you who do have a saving relationship, who do view yourself as a follower of Christ, if you need to pray about any of this, about being led to lead others or being led to follow others and struggling with that. If you need to pray about this or anything else, I'll be down here to do it with you during our time invitation, and I'll hang around after the service as well. We're going to be led in a time invitation. Let's pray together. Let's stand together and then pray. And as we're worshiping, may you move in whatever way God is calling.